Hi, and welcome to Deep Dive with Jamie Stein, where we take a deep dive look at all things reality TV, pop culture, and the world at large. I'm an intuitive and an empath, which means I pick up on the thoughts, feelings, and energy percolating in other people in the world around me. I believe there is meaning waiting to be found at every turn, if you're willing to see it. So join me as we dismantle everything from trash TV to high spiritual concepts and learn more about ourselves, each other, and how we're all connected. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. Uh, Today feels like a little bit of a special episode because we're going to be getting into what a lot of people consider the crown jewel of the Real Housewives empire. Certainly was a franchise that I think put the show on the map in a certain type of way. Uh, The Real Housewives of Atlanta. And to be honest, I don't think I've done a proper Real Housewives of Atlanta deep dive episode up until now. I did do one episode specifically about Portia, but we kept it pretty tightly framed around Portia rather than getting into the dynamic of the ensemble and getting into the larger cast. So to me, this feels like the real first proper episode where we're going to open stuff up and get into it and see what's here. And I'm doubly excited because of my guests who I have joining me today, both of whom are returning players to the deep dive. Uh, First, let me welcome actually one of my co-hosts on that Porsche episode, Chanel Creating, who has her own podcast that everyone should go check out called We Was Dragons, which is specifically about the Game of Thrones prequel. Okay, House of the Dragon. Um, And yeah, she's here to join us today in dismantling some of these Atlanta women. Hi, Chanel. Hey, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm so excited. Well, I'm excited to have you here. How are you today? Good, good. We had a little warm-up chat. I'm feeling like I'm in the Bravo <laughs> space in my head, so it's going to go great. This episode has like, been already happening via text messaging and then pre-recording conversations, so I'm excited to see where it wants to go because there is a lot of lively energy here today. And on that note, I also have here with me a multiple returning guest uh, to the pod, host of What Else is Going On, a woman who always brings a smile to my face, Taria S. Faison. How are you, Taria? Welcome back. I am good. Thank you for having me. I just want everyone to know that that episode Jamie did with Chanel, if you didn't listen, go back, because that's when I fell in love with Chanel and I was messaging Jamie. And now I'm going to steal her from Jamie and have her on my <laughs> podcast. Not steal her. Jamie's going to share her with me because um, I'm just glad to be amongst both of you. Y'all have wonderful takes and our pre-show before the show uh, has given me a lot to think about as well. So I'm excited. There's enough Chanel to go around forever. Yes. <laughs> no matter how many Chanel's you borrow, you'll never be a lady, <laughs> said Camille to Brandy Glanville. <laughs> Wasn't that, fa- I think that was Faye Resnick. Oh no, Faye, that's right. Oh God, oh, puff, puff, not uh, Camille, but Faye. But although I will say, cause she popped up really briefly in that last episode of Beverly Hills. And I I have to give it to her. She looked great. I was like, wow, she hasn't aged a day since we last saw her. Because I think it's been Mm -hmm. a good few years since we've seen her, right? Was it since Catherine Edwards days or because the whole OJ... Catherine Edwards thing? Oh, right. They trotted her out for, yeah, Mm -hmm. for Catherine Edwards. Yeah. All right. 
Well, having said all that, um, there's so much here. I really thought maybe the way that we could start as an entry point would be to get into what felt like was more or less the central conflict of the season, which was the conflict between Kenya Moore and Marlo Hampton. And it's interesting. I mean, I find myself both excited about this topic because I think they're both really interesting women with a lot going on. I actually experience them in very similar ways in a lot of ways. Um, but I also notice that I feel myself pulling back a bit. I think because for me personally, and I don't actually know where either of you stand on either of these two, but I'm not the hugest Kenya fan or Marlo fan. And I think I'm one of the only people who really wasn't that excited for Marlo to become a full-time full-time housewife. Um, I felt like in the words of Construction Barbara from New York, she's a good friend. Like she's a good friend of the housewives. I wasn't exactly convinced she would make a great housewife um, just because of her lack of disclosure. You know, her life feels so mysterious to me. She feels very produced also for the show. There's a lot of reasons. I never emotionally connect to Marlo. So I wasn't like, like racing to the fences over Marlo uh, being a housewife. And I, I experience both Kenya and Marlo as very, very camera savvy, camera conscious and doing a lot for the sake of the show. So I, like I said, there's a part of me that like pulling back a little bit from this because I'm like, what's actually here? Were these two ever really friends in the first place? What is actually coming up between them? I just noticed there's something in me that kind of resists a little bit. Um, but having said that, I'm sure as we follow the threads, it'll take us somewhere interesting. Um, I guess as I'm speaking, my first impulse maybe is just to take them one at a time. I'm curious, maybe since I started talking about Marlo, I am curious where you both stand on Marlo. And maybe if it's okay, I'll bring something in that's just sort of really striking to me and sort of most forefront of my mind of watching the show, which is um, I, f I, I, I do find Marlo fascinating in a lot of ways. And what I find most fascinating about her, and this was like very much spotlighted at the reunion for me, is that I've never before had an experience with someone where when they're sharing about themselves, it strikes me in two completely opposite but equally strong ways where on the one hand, so when Marlo's talking, for example, about her history and she's talking about her experience as a foster child and everything she went through and she's connected to the feelings, there's a part of me that hears her and really feels like, wow, there's you are revealing something that's really true here. There's vulnerability here. I believe everything you're saying. I'm totally taking in the impact your history has had on you. And at the same time, there's something about this that also feels totally performative to me and in a way manipulative. And I also felt the exact same way when she went to, I want to say that therapist, but was he a pastor? Was he a pastor or a therapist or both? Kind of a life coaching life co situation. Yeah. yeah, it was the same thing where I, you know, I, I experienced her as in something that felt genuinely vulnerable, but also felt performative and somehow superficial at the same time. And so I just know for myself, I'm so drawn to that 
with Marlo, like this experience of there's a way in which you're showing up and revealing something that feels true and real. But at the same time, I also am experiencing you as completely disconnected. Um, It's an interesting experience for me as a viewer. So maybe I'll just start there and kind of see where you guys at, either in response to what I just said, Marlo in general, what's coming up for you? Yeah, I think we're on the same page as far as the interpretation, for sure. Obviously, the stories are true. So anytime she talks about her past, she is telling something. But I think that, um, you know, even the cast was clear that she was doing it at an opportune time to avoid really digging into, like, you know, nobody was, was getting right in her face saying, hey, why did you say that? And, you know, and she would kind of say, well, because I'm damaged. And it's like, okay, but... Also, again, why did you say, like, mm-hmm. you, it, that's always going to be the case then. So how, how do we get past that to have better behavior? And my immediate thought is that um, maybe there's nothing there. Maybe once you get past that story, the only thing she ha- she feels or knows or whatever that she can bring to the table is the trash talking. She thinks that the things she brings to the show is enough but she's literally bringing nothing of herself. And that always um, frustrates me. And then what also frustrates me is that she lies. She just lies, she just said, like, if I'm arguing with someone and they're just gonna say, Chanel, you are redheaded and I hate red hair, I'm gonna be like, I can't even engage with you because you just will say anything, <laughs> you know? I'm When you said empty, I mean, when you said maybe there's nothing, because when Jamie was talking about her, I kept hearing empty. So you can't bring what you don't have. So it's like, to me, I feel like she has this empty space within her. And so she tries to fill that empty and not like empty space. I'm looking to fill it. At least I don't get that. Just like empty. So I'm filling it with the clothes and the house and even the boys. And she took in two young men that I think trigger her because they remind her of how, what happened to her when, so it's like you bring in almost like if she can do it right with them, then that somehow corrects how she was brought up. But I I don't feel like there is anything to Marlo. And I said, the dangerous thing about a person like Marlo is the fact that she will say anything. And on this platform, no one in the Bravo sphere or anybody watching 100% likes a housewife, right? 95% may like this one, 5% may like this one. So there's always that chance that you say something and somebody's going to believe it. And it could be very damaging to a person. Look at how she attacked Todd when her and Candy were arguing. Then we get to the reunion and Todd is asked the question and she's like, oh, I'm not going to argue with a man. I'm not. She knew what she was doing by saying that because there are fans that are going to say men shouldn't argue with women. So I feel like Marlo is a dangerous person in that sense. And one example, like you said, even of her lying on herself, Kenya says you went to jail for slashing a woman's face. You're a liar. You're a liar. No, you did go to jail. But I feel like she processed, she truly believes Kenya is lying because in her mind, I didn't slash her face because I was angry. She did something to me. She came at me. So I was defending myself. So I feel like her thinking is warped also. And it's just so like, almost like this beat. I can't describe, but like when I see, it's just like dark, very like 
I'm going to I'm going to verbally slash your face like I did that woman, but still in a different way uh, than Candace. She she. That's why your mom, you, you know, you're so nasty. Your mama don't want you now. I have to be very honest and say I don't get offended with the stuff Marlo says. I don't even get offended with this. I think she's out of line, but I'm not like, uh. but I mean, to, that to me was like, did you just say her own mother doesn't want her? Or when she was arguing with Cynthia in Atlanta about Snakegate, Cynthia says something to Marlo. And she said, that's why you're bald headed and got no edges. And it's like, where is that coming from? Because Cynthia didn't give you that. Um, Marlo, what you're saying is right in terms of like, you will be like, again, hey, Marlo, I, I wasn't, I didn't miss the event because I was sick. I didn't mean it. And then Marlo would go outside and talk about who slept with who in Atlanta to get their money. And it's just like, it, it's very random. And when somebody yeah. is predictable like that, that, it's hard to kind of be in community with them to build any trust, reliability. It's like, I don't want to cast a plot and decide what we're going to see and not see, but I also want to cast yes. and be on the same page. Because I feel like what happens here is that everyone's not on the same page with Marlo about accepting her behavior. But at the end of the day, we get to the reunion now and the people are hating this reunion, really upset about it. So like there's nothing happening. And it's because she's not keeping that same energy that people are now ready to call her out for. She says stuff that was so unequivocally untrue, like that Candy doesn't help people. And we all know like <laughs> of everyone on that cast, that's Candy's the most philanthropic of all of them. Like always has been. So it was just like, where does that, I definitely understand like, where does that even come from? Marla will say anything mean, whether it applies to you or not. And I would actually laugh about it. But then I do want to circle back to the idea of her being so, um opaque about her past like she, i saw one of the um after shows and she said she got she gets her money like everyone else from the show and it's like no because it's todd brought up you came on the show with your own money you paid your way in so you had some money before so where is that money from and she won't admit it mm -hmm. but then she says like she's so offended by the idea that she did sex work but it's like you did something what'd you do just tell us like find a way to talk so if she had found a i think if she was more in acceptance of her own story like so the story from 18 before is not her fault right but the choices she made 18 to here she hasn't really found a way to own up to i feel like and so if she could find a way to f to figure out that story from 18 to now and a way to tell it where she doesn't make herself the victim then I think she'd have right. a lot more impact and like the women who have that story, but she won't be transparent about it. And that's where people are like, you're, you're saying stuff, crazy stuff to me instead of just saying, yeah, I went to jail. It was scary. So blah, blah, blah from there. And something you just said about how when she, she always says, I'm so offended. They bring up a man with me, but you sat on this show. Number one, when she references men and money, when she goes after the women's husband, what is she always talking about? Broke. Broke. Yeah. Or this or that. And then or had she said had to have sex for money. And she talks about her ex who bought her house, her mama a house and her car. So you put these things out there about no matter what rumors or whatever could have been circulating. If we weren't in Atlanta and if there was no Real Housewives of Atlanta, we wouldn't know those things about you. The episode that frustrated me the most with Marlo, they all kind of did. But specifically when it was her time to shine. She hosted that getaway. I mean, the little getaway. But then Kenya shows up and immediately 
I felt like she was like, here she comes to take my shine. That like, for, that's what I immediately felt from her. So then it was like, now I got to have my moment. Um, so are you staying at the house or not? And then when Kenya, for the, cause I'm not a big Kenya fan, never have been ever. I liked her this season. I thought she was funny this season and more engaging, but she, um, Kenya is trying to explain to her Marlo, this is why I'm at where I'm at with you. And instead of letting her talk, Marlo's like, well, look, I look at you like a big sister. I mean, I look up to you, but then look at how you, and it was just so, like you said, you can't get anywhere with anybody like that. She was trying to shift it. And I just felt like, I don't know. A candy did say, um, people were like, why didn't you come for her for the things she said about you at the reunion. And she said, because she's sitting up there telling her story, crying, and then I'll look like the butthole for attacking her. So like you said, there was no uniformity. Like when they got Kim Zolciak together, that was my favorite reunion. Sorry. (laughs) I mean, I feel like so much of what I'm hearing is, I mean, quite simply, there's an unreliability to Marlo. Like she's unreliable. And it, and I guess if I take that a step further, there's almost a way that she's not fully in reality, right? Um, like you guys t- mentioned it, you languaged it as empty, empty space or she's empty, which is so interesting to me. I mean, it's fascinating to me because, you know, at the end of the day, personally, you know, I don't think anyone's actually empty, right? right. But I understand what you're saying. There is this energetic hollowness and it's what i was speaking to up front where even when she's revealing something about herself or like to use chanel chanel's word there's something opaque about her i mean yes in terms of like her life and by the way i did do some googling like about marlo hampton bio marlo hampton reddit just to see because usually there's dark corners of the web where you can kind of find out more about people there is nothing i mean other than her arrest record and yeah, the rumors about being with Ted Turner or whatever billionaire who bought her house for her, there's nothing, right? So like it is this opaque curtain, but then there's an emotional opaqueness to her too. And I'm just so drawn to that. I mean, there was so much that you guys said. I mean, it, it's it's interesting because I notice it's even hard for me to find my words as I'm talking about her. And that's almost what Marlo feels like. It feels mm-hmm. like she's like throwing a smoke bomb and all you really can see is the smoke and then the smoke dissipates and there's nothing there. And it's like, wait, wait, what just happened? There was like a, sh- a spectacle show of smoke and now I'm sort of left with nothing. But um I guess there are a few things I'll sort of say to all this in response. I think it is interesting that she did have a criminal record and then it just stopped, you know? So she was arrested, I guess, for that one fight where she did cut a woman's face. And then my understanding is there were subsequent arrests that I believe were actually parole violations or yeah, parole or probation violations. And then there's a moment where it stopped. And so the fact that there was this string of arrests, but they were, you know, over, let's say, like 15 years ago, I just got this kind of possibility of something in Marlowe. Clearly, she got something together, right? Where it's like, I'm not getting in trouble anymore the way that I used to get into trouble. And it's almost like the vibe I get is that somehow she managed to sort of organize things inside of herself to be this opaque person where whatever that violence was that was in her or that self-destruction, it got shuffled away somewhere. And then since then, obviously there's this huge gap as far as like public knowledge of her history. 
And now she's sort of showing up, yeah, kind of always wanting to control the narrative. And it's like, I don't even know. I'm I'm overwhelmed in this moment because there's so much I want to talk about. I want to talk about her nephews. I want to talk about how she came in this season saying to Candy, like, you don't support me. I want to talk about, like you guys are saying, it's like even the conflict with Kenya, which all originated from Kenya not coming to this one event. And like you said, Tariya, I'm not even a Kenya fan, but I completely believed her when she said, look, I was sick. The doctors, you know, I got my makeup on because I was planning to go. And then the doctors told me I shouldn't go. This is COVID. Like, we're not supposed to go. It seemed pretty simple enough. And um, Marlo's deeply triggered reaction to that where she it's almost like she refused to take in the information that was right in front of her she refused to take in what i would call the reality of the situation and based off her almost like like insistence her insistence on misunderstanding the situation and misinterpreting it she then goes off on this whole other it's almost like there's one train track which is the train track to reality and emotional truth and she just makes a decision to like shift the track into a fantasy land and now suddenly she's having this whole conflict with kenya that's based i can't even call it a misunderstanding it just feels like a willful refusal to hear what this woman is saying um now i did explore that a little bit like in a solo episode i did about like what was going on for her and you know my personal kind of sense of that was I felt like on some level she was hurt that Kenya didn't come because I felt like, and I think this speaks to everything we're talking about. I think she was, she was making this huge performative show, right? Of doing something for Sheree. And I, and what I do get off Marlo is I think she really wants credit for what she's doing when she's thinking about others. So I think that's a lot to do with what she was saying to Candy too. It's like, oh, I'm taking care of my nephews now. Look at me. I'm doing things differently. I'm thinking of other people. I don't think she's used to thinking of other people. And so it's almost like this performance of caring about others and kind of like a five-year-old. It's like, I want to be seen for what I'm doing. I want credit. And so then, yeah, Kenya, when you don't come to this event, even though you're perfectly entitled not to come to this event, it hurts me. And rather than having the emotional maturity to be able to say, you know what, like, I get it. It just hurt me. I was in my feelings. I took it a certain type of way. It's like she can't tolerate that. And instead, she takes the hurt. And again, she sort of packages it away. And it just becomes about, like, let me go after you. And it does feel somewhat similar to me with Candy, where it's like, I guess there was some expectation of what she, she wanted Candy to be there for her in a certain way that it feels like she didn't communicate in any type of way and then holds Candy responsible for that. Again, it feels like from this place of, I want to be seen for what I'm doing. I want credit for what I'm doing. It then bothers me when you don't show up in the way that I want you to, even though I'm not articulating that to you. And now I'm on a war path to just spread lies about you. And I guess to your guys' point, it sort of leaves the other cast members in sort of a helpless position because how do you have a real relationship with someone who's not communicating what they want from you and then holds it against you when you don't show up, refuses to take you in when you try to explain what's actually going on and then behaves in a way that's like really, um, like what's the right word for it? I mean, she just goes out for blood and sort of won't hear anything. And then the last thing I'll say, and then on the other side of that, when finally, because she is smart, you know, and so finally, there'll be a point where she gets backed against a wall where it feels like she understands like, oh, my, my hypocrisy is being pointed out to me. 
And that's the moment where it seems like she goes to either her history or, yeah, laying it on way too thick. I respect you all so much and you're brilliant and da 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 And so just going back to my original point, it feels like none of what she's doing, none of it feels built upon any sort of consistent emotional reality and there's zero, there's nothing about it that's reliable. So how do you build a relationship with someone like that? Yeah, I think that was really great, Jamie. So specifically, I think she's in survival mode and I think she's been there for a while. Because a lot of what we're saying, I think, are those symptoms of like always being emotionally reactive, never having a lot of self-reflection, feeling defensive. And so that like, again, if Kenya does one thing and she really didn't mean it, you're not putting Kenya in the position where Kenya harms you. And now Kenya's going to be harming you because you're yelling at her as if she did already. So it's like you kind of are recreating these situations because you're just so raw. And the problem with that, though, is that, like, it's been going on for so long that even though these things are hard for her to overcome, she's going to have to do the work on her own because these people who are around her, they don't have the weight of that. The level of hurt she has does not match the level of action they've done. Mm -hmm. So it's like this is for her to heal. And um, one thing I was thinking about was that when I use the word empty, I'm also I'm not like you know, prescribing that to her for life. I'm saying that's where she's, that just seems like that's where she's at right now. And my assumption is that, you know, the universe is emptying her out so that she'll look for a way to fill herself. So like, maybe this is a part of, this is a necessary thing for her because the depth and the real person she is has to come when she realizes she's empty, when she realizes something's missing and it's not everyone versus her. But yeah, Marlo, I think just does a lot of, um, a lot of like, I'm triggered. You said a small thing in the trigger category. So boom, we're I'm back to DEFCON 4. Like, let's go. Let's fight. Let's let's sling mud. And it's defensive. And it's like it's 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 anticipating that the other person's gonna go low. So I'm gonna go low first. And it's like she could have again had a great season if she didn't always take it there. So I ra- I wanna wrap all that up with saying that what what I think is unequivocally the worst thing she did this season. Or the, the realization for me that was the worst, but even beyond the face slashing was she talks about luxury. She talks about how she likes to travel, what she needs, the clothes on her back. And her sister is living in a two bedroom apartment with three kids. That to me is like unforgivable. And that to me is like, you're not my type of person. I can't, I can't do this. If your sister can be like in conditions that, you know, what What child services would say are unfit for kids because kids need their own beds. So if they're old enough, they need their own room. Like, those are things that, that they say kids need. And she's not even even get that. Um, so, anyway, I, I, I'm not, I guess I'm just saying if Marla was to stop flaunting her wealth, I wouldn't be able to call her out for it. But it's because she talks about how much money she has and how fabulous she is that if, any, if other people around you are suffering, you're not that fabulous in my life. Wow. That's good. Not even just for money, but just in general, if you're just such good person, but the closest to you around you are suffering, what does that say? But something you, when you said about her sister, when she called her sister and was like, I need a break, you were willing to put your sister out, like out as an out of her way to take on your two boys. And then you turned around and asked them, and I have every feeling that 
I'm sorry. I just feel like she kind of knew what the answer was going to be. How was it staying over there? And then you let them boys throw your sister under the bus. It was nasty. It was this. And it's like, yo, she did you a favor. She, but, but then you bragged about taking care of your sister. And we show the couple of pictures, the flashbacks of y'all in the jailhouse pose. Like, come on. She leads with her nephews with stuff, too. And I think that's why that's one of the reasons she got so upset when they weren't clean as a, as a mom of three, my youngest is 18 away at school. Now I get that frustration and I get like needing a break. But when I've been to those points, it's like everybody here now, I'm not playing with y'all get this stuff up. But because she vow she puts her value in things. She couldn't believe that they would keep their rooms messy or put this hole in the wall. Well, the hole in the wall, the, the hole in death was a whole different thing. But because I felt like that came from some anger because something was said to him, maybe. But she put so much value in things that that to me, I felt like that was the real issue. And she felt like the things weren't being uh, respected. You know, I saw people online saying, well, when you first became a parent, you didn't know what to do. There's no handbook. Exactly. So I had to figure it out because I was the adult and knew that it was my responsibility not to raise buttholes or not to damage children, no matter what triggers I was still working through. I feel like the season she took her nephews, what, two seasons ago when she brought them to Mark Daly's event, it was a show and tell. Come on, boys. They look nice. They're not talking. Very nice. And then she really got into it with them. And now it's like, oh, this is for real, for real parenting. It, it it made me angry, like just for her to send them away like that, because I could only imagine what they were feeling. But I just her taking the kids over to Ross and Sonia's house to be a man and change a tire. My 18 year old daughter can change a tire. And I'm saying that because it, it's she's also misogynistic in a lot of her thinking. And I don't think she even realizes it, but it was just such a, my butt was clenched and I was cringing during those scenes because it just felt so, it didn't feel natural. It just felt very produced, even though it's a show, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's so interesting because, and again, this speaks to the first point I was making. Yes, I have found her relationship to the boys to be performative. You know, it feels performative, but I feel like in her mind which i experience is very emotionally immature like there's something to me that almost feels stunted about marlo and i always go back to like the age of four or five like it feels like something got like stopped somewhere along the way like she feels like you know it's like malibu barbie it's like like a, a woman playing dress up and so i i feel like on some conscious level she honestly believes she is stepping in as Monty, but her way of doing it, it's like, it's like this thing she put together for Sheree, which was the most ridiculous thing, right? It was so over the top. And to your point, it's, it's, it was about the things. All the things were there. There was a whole spread of food that was way too much for two people. There was the personal shopper. It was like more is more is more is more. But do I believe that in Marlo's conscious mind, she truly believed she was showing up for Sheree. Yes. Was it also performative? Yes. And that's kind of the flavor I felt with the boys where it's like in her sort of, again, what I'm calling emotionally immature, it feels a little, I don't love using that language, but 
in her emotionally immature mind, I believe she really thinks she's showing up for them. And her way of showing up for them is in this performative way. It's almost like she studied how they do it on TV or in sitcoms. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to dress you up. I'm going to make you breakfast every day. I'm going to make sure you brush your teeth. It almost feels, again, like an enthusiastic kid who's like, oh, I'm going to do this right. And I'm going to be a good parent to them. And we're going to have the happy ending. And so kind of like when Kenya doesn't come through because she's sick and life gets in the way, the moment that there's nuance, the moment that there's like emotional complexity, the moment that it's not just the leave it to beaver happy ending where she gets to be the Monty who throws money around and makes them breakfast and everything's cool. It feels like it activates something in her because it is highlighting the deficiency or the limitation of the things, right? And I think it's interesting. I'm obviously not a parent. I actually had a bit of a soft spot for her in sending the boys away. Like I felt like I understood what she was saying in the sense of like what I heard. And maybe this is me giving the benefit of the doubt. It's kind of like her saying, I, I actually took on more than I can handle. Like I thought I could do this. I actually, like you said, I'm concerned I'm going to do more harm than good. Let me, I mean, I'm not saying sending them away was necessarily the best choice, but what I heard and felt in that was like, I, I'm realizing I'm not necessarily as good at this as I thought I was going to be. Let me take a time out so I can kind of get myself together and reapproach this. And part of me appreciated that. Like part of me appreciated her saying, I don't have the answers. I don't know what I'm doing. I just think it's interesting. I think the way she processes information is interesting because like I said, I do think there's something smart about her. I do think there can be something self-aware about her when she hits the end of the line. But then, like I said, I also think there's something really performative and it's, it is interesting that all of this is in within the context of the show. And again, it's like, it's like I was saying up top where I do get this sense that she's using these boys as a storyline for the show And it's also like, hey, world, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Give me credit. Give me credit. And at the same time, I also felt the place where she felt like she was genuinely doing something good and that there was some sort of good intention. And that's the sort of confusing thing about Marlo to me. And maybe we're bringing some clarity to it where in her mind, the things on some level does equate to the happy ending or it equates to the solution. And so what we're getting off her is a woman who's trying to like create a certain kind of life or a pretense of a life that she thinks is the answer. When in reality, it just kind of reinforces the emotional hollowness at the same time, if that makes sense. When you said about the things and how she's showing up for Sheree, she did the big things. When I was growing up, my mom, I used to say, oh, you don't tell me you love me. And she said that the way I show you love is I buy you things. Right. So then when I started dating my husband, I would I knew his favorite soda, his favorite this. And I would get it. And I would say, you never do that stuff for me because I was expecting him to show up in the way I showed up for him. And then I had to realize I was showing up for people the way that people showed up for me, not necessarily the correct way, because that might not be what they needed. And I feel like Marlo was showing up for them in the ways men have shown up for her things. So she shows up for her friends by doing big, extravagant things. The boys, I took you in. You see all this nice stuff I bought you and they have all these nice clothes. And this is we're going. I don't know if it was Mark Jacobs or something for, you know, for his suit. She's showing up in ways that men showed up for her with things. And so sometimes if those are the only tools you have. You feel like 
her thing was, I'm giving you all this nice stuff and you can't even take care of it. That was like her focus. And it's like, because they hold value to her. So now I, when you're, you're saying that, it's like she feels like she is doing the right, it's, it's performative, but at the same time, she feels like she is doing the right thing. It's like, hmm, when she talks about men and what men did for her and they got this and they bought her a house and she mentions her mother a house and she mentions the car, you know? So it's like, she's repeating that same behavior to her boys, but that might not be what they need. And then I felt like, you have these kids who are not really used to TV and Marla, you've been a friend of, but you've never been a wife. That's two totally different things. And then you have these cameras in your house. And a part of me was like, man, her showing their room and look at pulling out drawers and the food. It just felt, it felt so exposed to me. It felt like they were so exposed and maybe she felt like she was doing that because that's what parents deal with. I don't know. It's something about it just really made me feel for the boys and feeling exposed. I agree with you. There's something about that that feels uncomfortable, you know, from the standpoint of are you protecting these kids, you know, from what's being shown to the world. And to me, again, I just come back to that flavor of Marlo wanting credit. I just feel this energy of like, if I show what these boys are, I'm trying so hard and look at what I'm dealing with. You know, that's kind of how I feel about it. Like I'm being the Monty, I'm giving them everything. It's almost like, uh, I was just talking about this the other day, you know how there's certain uh, parents who kind of love, uh, they get so much juice and mileage out of being the harried parents. Oh, you know, it's so hard being a parent and I do this and I do that. And there's clearly this like investment in like, yeah, how difficult it is. Like, that's what it felt like to me. Like I'm working so hard. I'm showing up so much. Look at what I have to deal with. Look about, again, look at how I am showing up as the Monty dealing with all of these things. It kind of reminds me of when she does bring out her backstory. It's like, look at everything I'm dealing with. I want credit. I want credit. I want credit. I mean, absolutely. I think that's a good, I'm glad you brought it back around to that. I, I do. I do agree. I think, um, Taria, that what you brought up about exposing them actually is very, I started thinking who, what other kids have we seen in their rooms? You know, we've seen, um, we never seen little, uh, baby aces room in a way that looks disheveled. Like, Whenever kids film in their rooms, it's like a it's I think historically has been like a parent coming and say, hey, can I talk to you about something seen? And it's not even about the kids behavior. It's like, I want to tell you about me and daddy or I want to, you know, t- mm-hmm. check in with you about race or something. So it definitely is like a uh, like you, I think y'all are onto something with it was her trying to get, you know, I think she she wanted to speak to the people who are frustrated by their kids. Mm-hmm. And are like, look, and she, and she wanted the, even if it's just the public response of, yeah, girl, we get it. And I do think, Jamie, though, that you're on to something, because, like, how she over, she got overexcited about Sheree's, like, Sheree said, ooh, go Marlo doing a race. And Marlo made it seem like Sheree, like, got yes. up and nominated her for a Nobel Peace Prize and it seized her. And I'm like, I, th- I think what's happening is they're all running their own race and they have expectations that Marlo's fine. Marlo takes care of herself. She's independent. She can fight for herself. So they're not thinking she needs, like, reparenting and validation every day. Mm. And she's clearly saying she does need validation every day. But they're like, girl, you're grown. Like, I, I have my own kids. I have my own husband. I, like... I can't do that for you. And if and I think what Kenya realizes, oh, if you want me as a friend to be a better friend than you, then I can be to myself right now. 
or than I can be as a mother or as I'm going through divorce. I can't, I can't do it with you. I can't be the bigger person. I'm also going through things. And I think that's where, that's how I understand Kenya's being fed up. What you said is her looking for validation and it goes back to self-esteem too. I feel like, I don't know if she necessarily feels the ladies think this, but it's about almost being their equal because she would, I've heard her in interviews before she was a wife say, yeah. And one of the ladies, they always say, Oh, you're not a wife. You're, you're, you're not a wife. Well, I'm, I'm just as needed too. So she, I feel like she wants them to look at her as equal to them, but not equal like a housewife. But you know, sometimes we've all maybe been around somebody that may be triggered insecurities in us. Uh, and I feel like they do trigger her insecurities and now she's a wife and now I'm on the same level. And then Kenya pulls a power move and says, we're going to sit in this driveway for two hours and not move. Cause I'm not getting in the car with you. And guess what? Production won't even film your trip. Cause we're staying here. And that's what happened. So it was like, Kenya was like in that moment, nah, I'm, I'm going to let you know who's really running things here. So I feel like that angered her. And then all of a sudden it was, I'm exhausted. And, Everybody had to leave. Everybody had to go from the house. I, I, I agree with you guys about the desire to be on equal fitting with the women. I mean, I it's interesting because uh, coming into this, I did just drop a little bit into Marlo, just in terms of her uh, relationship to the show itself. And there was a lot that came through. But the first thing that I really heard was, oh, I belong now. Like there's something about belonging. I mean, I think belonging with the women on the show, but then also by virtue of being one of the you know housewives on the show, like belonging in the world. And then even when you guys were talking earlier about the things and the labels and the clothes, I just kind of quickly <laughs> went inside and was like, okay, well, you know, as Marlo, what am I sensing about her relationship to money, to, to the designer labels? And it was the same thing. It's like, oh, I belong now. Like that, that somehow wearing the designer labels makes her a part of something and she belongs to a world that obviously she didn't sort of feel like she belonged to in the first place. So I, I do think there is kind of that underlying longing, you know, to be included, to belong, to be equal, which look, it makes sense based on what she described of her history. I mean, it feels very alone. You know, she, she had herself and that was all she had. Um, but I think the other thing I want to say about all this, I'm still so drawn to this notion of the emptiness and, oh, cause that was the other thing that came through. And when I was thinking about her in relationship to the show, part of what came through was I just felt like this swirl of chaos, like that her relationship to the show was chaotic and there was a lot of moving parts and a lot of energy. And I felt as Marlo, just this desire to be swept along in the chaos like it felt almost kind of like an addict looking for a fix and I could feel this part of me that was like I don't want to slow down long enough to even get clear on what's coming up for me in relationship to this show and when I kind of followed that a little bit it was kind of this feeling of like there's not like if I actually slow down and get honest with myself about everything that's coming up for me in relationship to the show, in relationship to these women, it is going to take me into deeper relationship with myself and into deeper relationship with my emotional issues and what I feel for her. And again, this totally makes sense is this experience of there isn't, there isn't room, time, space, or context that can hold 
where I would go, if I actually went in to everything that happened to me as a child, everything that I went through, oh God, it actually like really hurts me as I say this because I'm feeling her aloneness again. Like I was alone with all of this. And I'm sure for Marlo, her experience has been there isn't a space where I can get into all of this. You know, like I as Jamie know, yeah, actually there are places you could go, but you know, that's not immediately available to a lot of people. And so it just kind of brings me back when we talk about this woman who feels empty and we talk about this woman who performs things. And then it's almost like there's a degree to which she'll let herself be vulnerable, but she can't go all the way there or she can show up to these nephews in a performative way, but she can't really show up in a way that's like connected to the emotional truth of what's going on. I just feel the place in her that's like, Again, I got to keep this stuff pushed down because if I don't, that's the woman who ends up slashing someone's face and getting arrested. And it almost feels kind of like a setup where it's like all this shit happened to me. I've got all this stuff inside me. There is nowhere for me to go with it. So let me just put it away. And I'm keeping all of this underground, under wraps and kind of doing the best I can. Yeah, you just made me think, Jamie, about like the charity um, mm-hmm. And so if all the things she could do, she chose to give girls luxury, which, um, you know, I can say there's absolutely some real good in giving um, girls. So, you know, like the marginalized gender or one of the marginalized gender identifications from underrepresented groups, exposure to things early so that like, you know, I got I got exposed to people with money in middle school and it like starts to allow you to see what's possible that there are different lifestyles so there's actually i think there's some demonstrated good there but in the reunion she said something like andy you can only imagine what happened to me going from house from foster home to foster home so you know we hear these unfortunately consistent stories about like different layers of abuse that foster children deal with how much more impactful would it be to be able to find a way to connect with foster foster girl foster children who are girls around those experiences how to avoid those how to stay safe how to take care of yourself like it's almost like she's like hey guys this was my band-aid here's an i'm offering it to you because it helped me you know and it's, um so so i think about that like 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 i think we've kind of we found a couple of really good threads that feel consistent for, at least for me in her, where her defensiveness is stemming from. And it's from like her being very scared to step into the void that is redefining herself, that is trusting people again, that is, you know, and, and, and that's when I get probably the most sympathetic to her because aren't we all really scared to kind of jump into that next phase but i think and jamie you said this about lisa renna on your show like that like on the other side of that is when you really get yourself like when you lean into that darkness lean into that other side that that part of you that you're scared to admit is part of you that's probably when you have more wholeness so um i do wish that for her and i and i think it's interesting that we got so much out of her but we were able to do it without kind of I don't feel like we tore her down and that, and I think that's good with somebody who tears people down as soon as they kind of see something that they don't like. You you said you brought up, you immediately thought about the charity. So did I. And I thought it's, you thought about it in terms of, like you said, a bandaid. And I immediately thought about how angry she got with candy 
because candy, even though they were good clothes, they were used clothes. And I don't, and it was, it was such like, she actually was angry about that. And I was and like, Candy's like, girl, this is designer. I wore one time. Like you're, what is the archive? Right. <laughs> right. Those wow. Your clothes that you're selling. <laughs> you know? And so it's like, let me tell you something. I have never, you know how many of my big sister's clothes I have stolen slash gladly taken like you know hand-me-downs are are hand-me-downs aren't always patchwork quilted together right like, sometimes they're nice clothes that somebody's <laughs> right like, hey, you know i i do get this sense and i actually felt this way i think i talked about this on the podcast i felt the same way about mia towards candace uh, and actually, I think Mia and Marlo are actually sort of interesting to hold together as a pair. But that aside, um, I do get this sense that when Marlo looks at Candy, because there was that hostility towards Candy, right? And I think she sees her relationship with Mama Joyce, which to my mind looks like a nightmare, although I love let me be clear. Love Mama Joyce as a t- television character. Want her on my screen at all costs. Loved Candy and Justice for Candy and the Gang. Wish there were a second season. But, you know, to my mind, Mama Joyce is a nightmare mom. But I feel like um, Marlo looks at that relationship and sees... Because I think at one point she even called Candy spoiled, which was just so interesting to me because as far as far as I know, I don't think Candy comes from generational wealth. I think Candy's wealth is her wealth and she's the one who's providing for the family and she worked hard for it. So to call her spoiled is such an interesting word to use and I just get the sense that she sees this relationship she has with Mama Joyce, who though she may be overbearing is like a present mom who cares about candy and is involved with candy's life. And I, I just always get this sense that there's, there is a, an underlying resentment in, um, in Marlo towards candy and kind of like, yeah, if I had a mother like that, if I had that kind of support, you know, what could I do? Which again, I kind of felt something similar. That's why I sort of felt like Mia cozied up, to Dorothy in a way on Potomac because I kind of just felt this flavor of like, girl, you've got it. You've got the mother who cares about you. Mm -hmm. God, if I had that, I wouldn't have had to have gone through everything I went through. Like, you are spoiled. In the case of Candace, she might be spoiled. Candy, I don't think she's spoiled. You know, there's so much mother stuff on Housewives. Marlo, we actually we see her mother mm-hmm. on the season and we also see her oh. putting her mom out there, you know, and 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 Oof. talking about her mom's issues. You know, so again, Marlo wants the world to see what she's been through and have her back. With Kenya actually, we've never seen her mother. Even the Mm-mm. season when Kenya went to that house and knocked on the damn door and her mother wouldn't come to it. Uh Kenya and one of their major conflicts that kept coming up this season was the conversation around Kenya's mother and and I think that's something Kenya never forgets Marlo for because I feel like their friendship was born twice was born off of strategy strategy and a person that they didn't like so Marlo was there for Kenya when Nini with her Donald Trump hair came through and when they were at that event and uh, Nini would not talk to Kenya wouldn't answer her and she goes walking across the parking lot or whatever and uh, Marlo was comforting Kenya and they became good friends after that. And because at that t- point they both stopped speaking to Nini flash, let's leap forward some years. Now we have Portia. And now all of a sudden Marlo is after the first part of the season, just going at her, going at Kenya. Now all of a sudden I want to come to your room and talk to you and Cynthia help me 
facilitate, be a friend to her. And then they go downstairs to dinner. And what does Marlo say? BFFs or something. And Portia is sitting right there. And then she immediately kind of turns on Portia a bit and starts airing Portia's business out. So the root of their start over both times was because they had a common enemy. It wasn't born out of any real wanting to get to know you. Yeah, I mean, I think you're speaking to part of the reason why it's hard for me to care about this conflict, which is I never really believed in their friendship to begin with. Especially, yeah, there was just a a clear collusion last season against Portia that in and of itself was so strange to me. It was so strange to me the way Marlo was so quick to turn on her. (laughs) Um, But yeah, to your point, it felt like a friendship that... Uh, it just felt like a consciously calculated friendship. Um, but bringing that back to this season, it's interesting. I mean, let me just preface this by saying, like a lot of other people, I did enjoy Kenya for most of the season, and I mm-hmm. found her to be likable and refreshing this season. And then having said that, when the conflict with Marlo shifted into overdrive, then I saw the old Kenya that I, um, you know, personally can find triggering. Um, and it's interesting because I've so far heard you guys sort of speaking to Kenya's role. So, for example, I think it was you, Taria, who mentioned that uh, Marlo was pissed that Kenya was going to potentially take her shine on the trip, which is true. However, I also experienced Kenya as I'm going to take your shine from the trip. Like I felt like Kenya was playing that game that Kenya likes to play. So for me, I didn't see it as like this one-sided thing. I really saw it as, yeah, two women who are a lot alike, who have a lot of pride and who have a lot of ego. Like that moment when Kenya showed up at that dinner, clearly ready to like steal the stage. I kind of saw Marlo basically saying, Uh uh-uh, like you're not stealing the spotlight from me. And Kenya's saying, oh no, I am stealing the spotlight from you. And there was this tug of war between them. She was on Carlos King's podcast and he said that he knows uh, when they were at Marlo's late archive, remember Marlo just kept, Marlo focused her anger on Kenya, even though they all were talking. And so Kenya was like, why are you like coming at me? And then Marlo, Kenya didn't kind of buck back So Marlo got up and walked away and it was because she didn't get her moment. And Kenya was very intentional. I'm not giving you this moment. Okay, Marlo. Okay. Cause Kenya didn't really bunk up against her. Like we know the old Kenya would have. So now she's strategic and going the opposite, except for, I feel like she thinks when it counts, like, okay, I'm not giving you your moment. Oh, but when I know I can stop production, from going anywhere, I still need to show you who's in charge. When the pandemic started and we weren't allowed to go anywhere, I was at the track and I was listening to Marlo do an interview. And she said, there's one particular housewife that doesn't want me to be a housewife. So she stopped. She thinks she's stopping me, blah, blah, blah. This was right before the bolo season when all of a sudden she cozies up to Kenya uh, two years before that, Andy was on Candy Speak on it and said, she said, why is Marlo not a housewife? People always ask me, I've called you and said she should be a housewife. He said, because we can't come to a group consensus on her being a housewife. So it's almost like I feel like Kenya is also playing this game like, 
I kind of like let you in kind of sort of. And now you, you need to realize who the queen still is. Well, and this, yeah. So this speaks to kind of the point I want to bring in, which is I am fascinated by Kenya's relationship to violence and the way it shows up in her life. Um, so let, I'm just like, let's just kind of walk this back a little bit. Cause it's always there. And, you know, of course there was the big, uh, I mean, and now it feels like so long ago, I can't believe how much time has passed, but you know, there was the big reunion where Portia attacked her and there was a lot of conversation about Kenya's role in that and what it huh. means to provoke yeah. someone, you know, this kind of foreshadowed the whole Candace and Monique thing. Uh, but there was a lot of conversation about, yeah. Uh, Kenyon's Kenya's role in that, uh, what responsibilities she needs to take, you know, in the situation. And so, you know, I'm always aware of that. And then the other thing that I'm always aware of, fast forward to the season with Kim Fields, who, you know, justice for Kim Fields, uh, I, you know, I get why she was not necessarily a good fit, but there were things I really respected about her. And I have to say, she was one of the only cast members who I feel like succeeded in truly getting under Kenya's skin. And the moment that I always remember is that moment when they were on their trip and Kenya was trying to do whatever Kenya does and Kim wasn't playing ball. And Kenya, for that one split second, she lost her cool and she shifted the chair over. And I was like, oh, there it is. Like she got physical i mean i know she didn't hit her but you could you could feel it you could Mm -hmm. see it you could hear it it's like there it is there is that energetic violence right and so it's just so interesting to me i always feel like kenya has this relationship to what i experience it's kind of like disowned violence in herself that she kind of passive aggressively like she does she likes to poke people like kenya more hair care or like the cookie lady or whatever it is she does she likes to she likes to poke and prod in this way that i feel like really disguises something that feels really like i almost want to say like violent underneath and what i keep thinking i mean yes her showing up trying to steal the show you know playing the politics of, of 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 the show but what i keep thinking about is that moment where she shows up the next day at the house on the trip and she starts running through the house she's giggling she's laughing she's so clearly purposefully trying to provoke marlo and then marlo does start to have a reaction and then Kenya's like, oh, you know, she, I, I mean, I haven't gone back and rewatched it, but like she starts to get offended. She starts to victimize herself. And so it's like, I want to bring this in. You know what I mean? Because I do feel like Marlo initiated the entire conflict with her overreaction to Kenya missing Sheree's little event. I feel like Marlo initiated it, but then where it took Marlo is to this place that, I'm sorry, where it took Kenya is this place where we see Kenya go that to me just feels so passive aggressive, so covertly violent, so provocative. And it is the reason why it's hard for me to ever fully align with her. It's interesting that you say, um, you call it energetic violence. I've never heard that before. Can you kind of explain that a little more? Yeah, it just hurt. Like, there's an energy that she brings that to me, I mean, it's not explicitly violent. She's, well, again, with Kim Fields, she did move the chair, which is why I was like, ah, there it is. But, um, you know, typically. Like the cookie lady? Yeah, it's not typically violent. She's not hitting anyone. She's not getting physical. 
But like we all saw it, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming we're all in agreement, but it's like using the bullhorn with Portia, using the scepter. It's like she's not attacking people physically, Mm -hmm. but there's an energy to it that to me. And again, I just keep going back to her running through the house laughing. It feel it. It just to me, it has that same quality of energy of like I'm poking and I'm pushing and I want something out of you and then I'm gonna laugh when you give it to me. It feels maybe violence not the right word, but it definitely feels. No, it makes sense, I think, like because it's it almost is like emotional violence towards the other person's feelings that you're doing that to. Like I think the cookie lady, and I heard people talk about, well, it's because Tanya brought that wig. But I'm like, that's not where it started. It's not. Tanya only brought that wig out because she realized when the girls told her, you know, Kenya was talking about you last night. So Kenya brings the wig. Tanya brings the wig out. Fast forward. She brings the cookie lady and then says, me and her talked about fertility together. And then she went and did this. And I'm thinking, you and her talked about fertility. Then you sat at a table knowing someone was asking about her fiance and talking around her. And that's where it started. But she that 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 was so extreme to bring the cookie lady. And then she called, didn't she call her a see you next Tuesday? She called Kenya called Tanya, see you next Tuesday. So I can imagine that would feel like almost like a violent assault on Tanya's feelings. So like I said, I understand when you say it, it's almost like I can see it like a tornado, like a swirl, like like when she twirl and twirl, like when she gets involved, I can see it being violent energy. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's um, Phaedra, the Phaedra Apollo Kenya conflict is also really interesting because I think that like when it's all said and done and Phaedra came out as like the ultimate villain in a weird way, it kind of goes back and then Kenya's still here. It kind of takes away that at the time you might have felt like Kenya was the one in the wrong, but since Phaedra's gone and Apollo said Phaedra abandoned him, it's like it kind of feels like a moot point. Um, but at the time, that was a lot of controversy, you know what I'm saying? Well, it's just, you know, it got me thinking about the booty videos. And it's just so interesting because I'm thinking about how we talked about Marlo being hurt and then being reactive, you know, to Kenya's very reasonable not going to the party because she's sick. And it just brings me back. And maybe I don't fully understand the details of everything, but my memory of that whole conflict was basically Kenya set up some deal, right, for Phaedra's video. Phaedra didn't like the deal. And so she said no, which to my mind is reasonable. If you don't like the deal, then you get to say no. And it just it suddenly reminds me a little bit of Marlo, the way that Kenya just felt so I don't know if the her particular flavor of the reaction was hurt, but she was clearly so offended that she set something up. She went to the trouble of doing it. And I think if I'm remembering this correctly, Phaedra was saying, I didn't ask you to do this. You kind of did it of your own accord, and I don't want it. And it just it does have kind of a similar energetic connection to me all of a sudden, if I'm remembering this right, and you guys can correct me if I'm not, of like, I <laughs> there's an expectation that Kenya had that Phaedra didn't fulfill, and I don't know that that's actually Phaedra's fault. And Kenya sort of took that, and rather than maybe just going deeper into what the actual vulnerable feelings were there... She just sort of ran with it on like this rampage and warpath of like, oh, you're saying no to me? Well, I'm going to go for hell now and create this competitive video. And in this place where I do feel there are similarities and connections between Marlo and Kenya, it's just interesting to me to remember that scenario. 
okay, yes, yes. Because I think, again, looking back on it, it's like we can't even remember it. And I'm sure I was mad about at somebody at the time. Like I was like <laughs> so and so inside, right? But um, I think that even in that case, it's what, what it resonates, where it resonates for me is like, um, you know, when you, when you identify something, you see it all of a sudden, all of a sudden. So like I'm a recovering codependent and codependent people, we like to do things for people to show our value. And um, it's hard to understand at first the concept of if they don't ask for it and they don't want it, that's not a rejection of you. They just simply are not like the whole thoughtful context you created the situation for, for them. They, that doesn't matter to them as much as the fact they don't want it. And on the other side, where codependents also don't understand it, you know, I'm including myself here, is because we have trouble identifying what we want. So the idea that somebody else doesn't want something that's right in front of them is like, wait, what? Because I accept most things people give to me. Like, I don't push back on things. So how, why would, you know, it It actually feels insulting where somebody from a whole different, like, way of being raised is like, why would you ever force this on me? What? Wh- why would you do that? And it's like two completely different ways of looking at the same issue. So with that said... I think I'm going to give Kenya that benefit of the doubt. Like maybe, it, you know, and another situation reminds me of that is hilarious is remember when Candy helped Kim make that song and then Kim made like a million dollars from it and gave Candy like 20,000 or something stupid like that. And that shows you how, again, Candy does things for people and how Candy, yeah. why Candy continues to prosper. And she said, girl, keep that money. I'm not even about to waste the money on the lawyers to, to go after that. And then at the same time, you have another cast member trying to help someone do something. And Kenya probably was like, well, shit, I produced a deal. Let, let's get this video done. Like, why not? You know, and, and then boom, a conflict. And then I really think the real issue is Apollo, to be honest with you, because Apollo and Kenya was flirting, whether it was intentional or not. And I think that was kind of, that was it at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, just to wrap up what I was saying before, I think that, um, I think that she is, uh, she has been a villain. I think she is this season. She didn't have to be the same. Um, and I, and I, you know, we talked before you, the three of us um, offline about Giselle. And one thing I recognize is you do need someone. I don't like, I don't think you have to go as far as Kyle Richards does to like intentionally search shit every time people <laughs> sit down, but you do need someone to say, Hey, I read the blog and the blog said this, what's up with that. And I think that's that Kenya sometimes played that role or, um, just had so much frenetic energy that conflict arise around her. So the idea of looking at it as like inner energetic violence, I totally understand. I, I don't know that I ever would have um, thought of it that way, but I understand it when you say it. And Jamie, if you just made that up, I think you should trademark it and put out a paper about what it means. Same. So it's yours. Um, but yeah, I just think that like, uh, but but the way that I would interpret it is, yeah, like the, I think it's just provocativeness. That's how I would have said it before you introduced the phrase. So it is provocative to bring a bullhorn <laughs> and, and to talk to people with the, in their face with the horn or the reunion. That's actually wild. Like it is crazy. But she also in that pr- time, I actually didn't think Portia should have jumped on her. But then speed forward to later, I kind of understood Monique. So, I, so you know, maybe we just see things depending on our different lenses. So, Because I didn't understand Monique, but I understand Portia, Hilarious. if I tell you to get it out of my face. <laughs> but remember when Portia, after that season, Portia was brought back as a friend of, and they went to dinner, and Portia was like, I'm going to remove myself. And what did Kenya do? Duck walk behind her. 
the entire time and kept antagonizing her and kept antagonizing her. She wanted her gone, I think. She, I think she was yes. like, let's do this. I want a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. I want a police report. Like, give me it. And it's a shame because I was liking their French. They were looked like they were building something. And then as soon as Nini came back in the picture, that was the one time when I was on Kenya's side and not Portia's. The one and I was like, I think Portia, whereas Marlo's not open, I feel like to necessarily getting close with someone, I think Kenya would be in a weird way. Maybe not go deep, deep, but I think she would be open to friendship. I mean, but then you have when they went on the ultimate girls trip, me and Jamie talked about this and I think she totally played Cynthia and had, and everybody's looking at it like Cynthia's jealous. And I'm like, are y'all watching this? She's planting little seeds. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask has, I mean, do you guys experience Kenya as ever having had a true genuine friendship on this show that wasn't on some level like an alliance or a collusion <laughs> against someone else. Her cousin, that might be it. Well, no, but she's not a house. Not, yeah, I know. <laughs> because, I mean, the closest thing was Cynthia. Although, again, yeah. to me, that always kind of felt more like a friend, kind of like Garcelle and Sutton. It felt more like a friendship of convenience to me. And then, yeah, to your point, Daria, I mean, the way that I saw Ultimate Girls Trip, <laughs> I saw Kenya kicking Cynthia to the curb, and it was painful. I mean, it was painful. Mm-hmm. It felt like Kenya yeah. finally was in a situation where she wasn't on the outs, where she wasn't the villain. She was accepted as part of this crew. And then, I mean, look, we're, this isn't about ultimate girls trip, but you know, I just remember her going down to that dinner, showing up late for her friend's <laughs> dinner. Cynthia was clearly struggling and I get it. Like Cynthia wasn't, you know, she, it wasn't her finest moment, ultimate girls trip, mm-hmm. but that's where you kind of hope your friends <laughs> are going to yeah. come through for you and be there with you, not turn on you and join in the tide of people kind of like coming down on you. And mm-hmm. it just felt to me like uh, Kenya was so ready to just kick Cynthia. And, and the thing about it that killed me was that Cynthia coming to her, I remember some scene on the beach and Cynthia just mm-hmm. trying to say, look, this is my experience. I'm having feelings. I'm struggling. And rather than Kenya being able to say, oh, you're my friend. I care yep. about you. I care that you're struggling. Even if I don't fully agree with everything that you're doing, but I have a fundamental baseline care for your feelings. That's not where Kenya was coming from. Kenya was just sort of ready to sort of, yeah, battle out with her. Yeah. Um, so I just comes back to my question. Do you feel like Kenya has ever had a genuine close friendship on this show? Yeah. Um, the answer is probably no. And there, yeah, no, she's never had, you know, a freaking frack kind of matchup. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the direction I want to go with it is I think this is her version of the, uh, coming from a you know bad relationship with my mom trying to figure out how to trust people like it's it's a it's the same marlo backstory but just in a different format and then i think that now she has like a level of respect and care with people like uh, candy who have consistently like i think candy has consistently not done something to harm her for so long that she's like okay I'm open now to, you know, like Mm -hmm. Candy kind of proved herself by just not being a bad person. And um, so you kind of see, like, I think they, they have each other's backs, but I want to, I think the other part of that, like loop that Jamie, you brought up before that I think actually is relevant when we talk about patterns is 
you this is a blanket statement that I'm sure can be debunked, but maybe looking at the type of people she's dating and how they're mm. treating her is a reflection of how she's treating herself, truly. So mm. so the fact that she's with these men who are gaslighting her, not really respecting her, they look good, like everything's good on this on the outside, but um there's not that like deep respect or deep level of healing is probably because Kenya probably needs that for herself too still. And that's okay. Like I'm not judging that. But um, you know, you look at a candy who's like in a happy, healthy relationship with someone who wants to see her grow. And Mm -hmm. um, that I think speaks to the fact that candy probably has a happy, healthy relationship with herself and wants to see herself grow. And those things are reflecting. Maybe, you know what I mean? It is so interesting to me though, because as we talk about Kenya, I do really experience her. There's a way in which she does feel like an elevated version of Marlo because I'm thinking, you know, you know, you were talking to Rhea about the cookie lady situation and I totally agree with your take on it. I mean, I didn't remember the details, but I remembered Kenya was the one who started it. She was the one who threw, you know, first shot fired. She talked smack about Tanya. That's what caused Tanya to bring out the wig. And then Kenya retaliated viciously acting like a victim the whole time, completely disowning her part in it. And she's done that. And, you know, there was a similar thing with Phaedra um, you know, when that whole conflict went down, because, you know, as, as we talked about, not only did she, you know, spearhead the, the booty, you know, competitive videos, she was flirting with Apollo. And so then when Phaedra responds, and I'm not saying Phaedra responded in the best way, but she's making her comments about being bipolar or this or that. And again, Kenya acts so insulted like she can't even believe Phaedra would do anything like this and it it becomes her platform for showing up in like the fishnet stockings and the you know the butt implants or whatever she was doing and then she did a similar thing with Nini where oh god it's like trying to go back and remember but I think it was Nini's last season right where they had a huge conflict Kenya and Nini and it all started because the season prior Kenya hadn't been on the show and then she showed up to the finale party yep. pregnant. And Nini, to her credit, and I'm not, I mean, I, of course, part of me loves Nini. I also am not a huge Nini fan, but whatever. We all know Nini's limitations, right? I'm not some. I'm not a Nini apologist. Yeah. To Nini's credit, even though she was in her feelings at that party, she walked up to Kenya and she was like, hey, how you doing? Like, for yeah. Nini, Nini never does that. Never, yeah, Nini yeah. never what's what's the expression she never takes the high road she did in that moment <laughs> and Kenya totally snubbed her and kind of threw it back in her face and I think that's when Nina Nini made some comment about like her being a buffalo or something because she was pregnant and Kenya She's took that a buffalo yeah carrying a buffalo so Kenya took that made it about you insulted my child and then had that ax to grind the entire next season. Again, never owning the fact that she was the one who initiated it. So the reason why I'm saying all this, again, sort of going back, we talked about how Marlo kind of, it's like she reacts to things not totally based on reality. And I get that Kenya's much more in reality. But as we're talking, there is an energetic similarity of I'm going to completely disown my part in this. I'm going to completely disown the way that I've participated in the situation. And then I'm going to act like a victim. Well, no, first I'm going to then completely, I'm going to use that as the basis for completely lashing out in this way that as we've talked about is very provocative and cuts deep. And then, and if anyone tries to call me out about it, I'm going to pretend like I'm a victim. And it's almost like she's, 
she's just playing by her own rules. She's like writing her own story that isn't necessarily rooted in the reality of what's happening. And that that similarity feels very striking to me in this moment with those two. Those are quality insights. I think um, what also I just thought about was uh, that Kenya might have, you know, in the past done this thing that I struggled to stop doing, which is deciding whether or not you're going to like someone before you really know them. And it's a defense mechanism. Um, but I feel like some of her conflicts were because she had, it was a foregone conclusion for her that she could find like, friendship with these with some of these women particularly phaedra or people like that um so it's like she's welcome for the conflict because she's because she hadn't even imagined that there could be like a deeper sisterhood there and i think that's what made her a great villain because she never had the stakes but i do agree i do think they clearly have those similarities so if we if we do go back though to this notion of kenya as this provocateur who has her own relationship i guess to what i'm calling energetic violence uh, you know, the woman who kind of gleefully runs around the home laughing and, you know, sort of poking at Marla's buttons. Again, I just get so curious about that for her. And again, it's like, again, just drawing parallels between Marlo and Kenya. And again, I understand Kenya is not someone who actually gets violent with people, but we're talking about Marlo slash someone's face. You know, there's this kind of... so. I, again, I keep seeing Kenya almost as like an elevated version of Marlo in some ways, uh, or a more refined version, a more grounded version, a more here in real life version, a more functional version. But I don't know. I just get so curious about what that is about for Kenya. Like, what what is her investment in being this passive-aggressive provocateur who, like, pokes people and then kind of gets to, like, point a finger at them when they react. It's, I don't know, it just makes me curious, what would it mean for Kenya to not engage with people in that way? You know, what would it look like if she made a different choice? What would come through if she were more direct with her feelings? What is she guarding or protecting against? in interfacing with people in this way and you know yeah is there something in her that is violently angry that wants to come out that wants to express itself i don't know these are just sort of questions that i hold because again i do i tend to feel alienated from her when i watch her because she does feel so self-produced it feels like she stages things for the show it feels like none of her friendships are really real and don't get me wrong i understand like she's likable and like there are tons of times where i like her she's charming she's beautiful she's smart and that's the thing i i, I and i'll admit it i hold her to a higher standard than marlo and i think that's why i was ultimately disappointed with her in the season because you know, kind of what, what you were saying about Candy, you were talking about how, you know, Candy, when asked, like, why didn't you sort of go in harder with Marlo at the reunion? And Candy says, well, you know, she's telling her sob story. I know it's going to kind of make me look like the asshole. Part of what I'm hearing Candy say is like, she can see Marlo for who she is and she can sort of modulate her response. And it's almost like I expect more from Kenya because she is more emotionally well-adjusted and I think she is more grounded emotionally. And it's almost like, what what would it mean for Kenya to take the high road is almost what I want to say. What would it mean for Kenya to see Marlo for who she is and not get down in the mud with her and play these games and need to be right and need to win and then act like a victim. <laughs> I feel, I feel um, that they're 
like you said, there's an elevated level of Kenya compared to Marlo. And I think they both have something they need to work on. But I think that Marlo is going to keep, like, her situation is going to keep being this bad and this much reaction and this much feeling alienated until she deals with what she needs to deal with. Like, I think her big issue is not being seen. And it's because you're not being yourself truly yet. Like, you know, you got to lean into that. So I think that she has like a dark night of the soul coming and she could do that on TV, you know, better for us. But if not, I think that's the only way she's going to get past that materialism and get to like filling that hole. And then with Kenya, I think she's, I actually think she's probably closer on the way there now that she has her daughter, which is something she's wanted a long time. But yeah, I think Kenya's on her own journey and will get there maybe in a different or sooner way. But she also has had the benefit of whether she wanted to have intentional friendships or not. She's been in this sisterhood now for like a decade. So it's like you almost have to grow. For all their similarities, there's something about Kenya that's still lighter to me. Yeah. And who's if I had to pick who I'd want to be around... It would be Kenya. Like you said, when you said you feel like Kenya has done more of the work, I feel the same way too. And it could very well be, could be because of her daughter and how she wants to be an example to her daughter. So I can definitely see that. And I'll also say Kenya, I mean, even though I think she is self-produced, she shares her life with the show. I mean, we know who Kenya is. There's, It's not the same opaque feeling as with Marlo, where there's just all these question marks sort of floating around her head. Like, Kenya, we know what she does for a living. We know how she earns her money. You know, we know who she's romantically involved with. I mean, she does open the door to her life. And so I think, again, there is more of an emotional grounding with Kenya, uh, which is why I'm calling her an elevator. <laughs> version of Marla, which feels a little bit obnoxious, but um, it's just what's come through. I mean, it's interesting because in hearing you speak, Chanel, you know, I just kind of keep holding this question of like, what would it mean for Kenya to take the high road? And I really might want to sit with that question for a second because I think it's, it's to me, it's such a provocative question for her. Like what, what would Kenya have to give up, you know, to ever take the high road? But part of, (laughs) excuse me, what came through is I just started kind of thinking about the fact that her mom never acknowledges her existence right and even if she's in the same room her mother won't will pretend like she's not there and so then suddenly i do get this vibe of like the kid who's poking oh do you see me now do you see me now oh now you're gonna see me now you're gonna hear me oh you think i'm invisible here i am it kind of gives a certain dimension to her flavor like her passive aggressive flavor of like i'm not gonna like Yeah, it's almost like I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of like making the scene. Oh, you're pulling the curtain over me. Well, guess what? I'm poking through the curtain and you're going to fucking see me and I'm going to get a rise out of you and I'm going to enjoy it. That's it. I mean, that's solid. I mean, and that's a level of I think like she talked like you said, she was vulnerable and she talked about it so much that we, we don't really feel into the pain of that kind of treatment. Like that is extreme, like badness, you know. Like I, like I, if not that I would want to have to choose, but I'd rather have the mother who messed up and keeps coming back to say, "I'm sorry." Like I know I'm messing up. I can't help myself. Like Marlo has in the mother who said, "Who?" I mean, it's sad. Mm -hmm. Going back to what you were saying about Kenya and her mom, it is so interesting to me too though like when that scene whatever season that was where Kenya went and knocked on the door 
which I guess Ashley Darby then kind of appropriated that, didn't she, on Potomac? But regardless, uh, Kenya, when she went and knocked on the door, it's funny because that also struck me, now that I'm thinking about it, in a similar way of Marlo and her nephews where I was like, well, okay, yeah, this is real and I, and I feel bad for her, but also she's commodifying this for the show. And it did feel perfor- performative to me because I just feel like you know who your mother is at this point. What part of you thinks that she's going to open the door when she's never acknowledged you just like baseline? <laughs> now there's Bravo cameras, you know, for all the world to see. Like, who is this for? And what are you doing? And what's your real intention here? So again, for me, it's just another energetic overlap of like like this two-pronged thing of yeah you're giving us something real and also it feels like you're performing for the sake of the shows and you're making your life into this commodified storyline i remember watching that with my husband saying that i'm supposed to feel really bad and i in in theory i feel bad but like just like you said jamie i'm like she's never talked to her now she's going to talk to her with cameras. I remember feeling that way watching it. Yeah, I think real quick, like, if we compare this, the like, you know, this is this is a cast member, Kenya or Marla, exposing someone and putting them in a position where their, their absence says something or, um, you know. And I think what's interesting, though, is Kenya did that to someone who may, may deserve to be exposed for her bad behavior. I don't, I think that like as much as you might have some empathy for her mother, you still understand that Kenya deserves more of empathy. And it's like, I, like I'm okay with her mom being a villain and not being not nuanced, I guess is what I'm saying. But like for Marlo to do that to her, like nephew sons is like, what it, they, do you want America to be on your side against them? <laughs> like is that, you know, you're recognizing that like you're setting up a me versus them situation when you do that. And I, and I don't know how savvy Marla was to doing that, but then she does the same pattern with her mother in terms of like, um, she made it seem like the visit on camera was the best visit they've ever had. And I'm like, you got to work on that off camera. You really do. Like, this is not, um, it just does. I don't know. And then actually, sorry, last thing her mother says, why don't you come visit me? And she says, I send you Christmas gifts. Exactly. We've been talking about her mom's like, I, and then, and then she, her mom goes, but I'd rather have you come. And she goes, so you don't want the gifts, which is like a, that's not what your mom's saying. Yes. And you're now making it like a thing. And, and, and I think her mom would rather have her call her and them have a short conversation than do all this drama on TV where the mom's teeth me and all that stuff. Well, this is also where I see similarities between Marlo and Mia because with both of them bringing their mothers on camera, I'm just also so struck by what to me feels like such unrealistic expectations of their mothers. You know, it really, and I mean, and in this place, I, I do have empathy for Marlo. It really feels like she thinks there's a certain type of way this can work out that her mother is going to show up in a certain type of way at some point. And like, that's what she's reaching for. And that's what she's defining as success in the relationship. And I mean, I even see this with Kyle Richards, you know, and her sister, like with Kim, it's, it's almost shocking to me from the outside. I want to say to them, don't, don't you see who this is? Like your, your mom is severely limited. She's a struggling drug addict. She's never going to be that mother that you want her 
to be. And it, it does. It surprises me when I see them invested. Like Mia wanted her mother to be able to be a reliable babysitter for her kids. And I'm just sitting there like, what on earth makes you think she's ever going to show up in that way? And you're causing yourself in her so much distress by holding out this hope that she's going to come through in that way and then holding it against her when she doesn't. And so it did really strike me uh, just to see that Marlo didn't seem to really be in conscious awareness of who her mother actually is and that there's really only so much she can expect from her. And I think she needs to really readjust her expectations of that relationship. And kind of like what I'm saying Kenya should do with Marlo, I think the job for Marlo at this point is to really take the high road with her mother and have whatever boundaries she needs to have as a result. Yeah, that's resonating. You know, I just, I did just say like, oh, all these mother issues stories are, you know, all across these franchises. And I hadn't really even thought about the fact that the pro- the reason why these, these mothers, it feels like they're being set up is because in real life, the daughters are like, have expectations for them, the women. Just, like, and like you said, we see it in 10 seconds, like, oh, you know, she's, you know, but when it's your mother, there's a there's that void that you have to figure out how to how to reparent and fill, and it's it's a lot to it's a lot to ask a girl a young girl to do, and and I think what we're seeing, I think like at least with Mia, is her recognizing that like she could get the husband, she could have the kids, she could have the lifestyle, but ooh, do I have the mechanisms? Like, do I like do I I could tr- like I could try to be a better mother out of in reaction to my mother, but I also still need my mother. Like, I think that every woman, like these women kind of get to a point where they realize I have to reconcile this some kind of way. And it would make sense to me, the first thing to do would be to ask, and then maybe she'll find peace. But I think the underlying issue that you said, Jamie, is true. Like, we're putting these mothers on here who didn't sign up for TV, besides Mom Joyce, and we're expecting them to work out stuff for the sake of the TV, but that foundation has to be there. I was going to say, it made me heavy, like, huh. But I mean, in a, not not heavy, like, uh, but just unpacking all of this, especially within our communities. And you see dysfunction that is um, dysfunction that is normalized. You see that with Candace and Dorothy a lot. You know, you're taught blood is thicker than water. You're taught you don't disrespect your parent. And by disrespect, they mean don't say nothing back, just agree with them and that be it. So we see all the, a lot of that play out. Yeah, and it's interesting, I guess, kind of like wrapping things up with Kenya. I also dropped into her towards the show kind of right before we popped on, just a little bit, just like quickly. And it was interesting because with Kenya, the flavor of it was really like, this is business. You know, I have a job to do. And um, it's like kind of like I'm, I'm taking care of myself, me and mine, you know? And it, it was interesting to me because... Marlo's relationship to the show felt chaotic. Whereas Kenya's relationship to the show almost felt there was almost like a detachment. Like it really felt like, Oh, this is business. And I could almost feel like something in me cut off. And it's almost like actually now, as I'm saying this, what I'm realizing it's almost, it almost feels to me like an unconscious refusal to have my heart fully in it. So it kind of brings me back to that question of has she had any real friendships on the show? It's like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not bringing the heart connection into this. So it's interesting to me. It just kind of felt like an interesting contrast to Marlo. 
I do think an element here is like this story is still being written. You know, like I think we're aware of Marlo because she's been there for so long and we got like a moment to really put her on the like, you know, on the chalkboard and say and, and dissect it. Um, and like I said with Kenya, we've had a lot more, but we don't know if they will find resolution. We don't know if this conflict will be like, a. you know, it's crazy thinking like we're in this moment now, but the things we just are chatting about throughout the day could be the thing that changes franchises forever. Like, you know, who, who saw the Phaedra situation coming? Like nobody. Right. And, and that was a major thing. So um, I am interested to see in the future when we have new updates or new developments from the women or even introspection, they might actually reach um, if that helps us fill in some of the like dot, dot, dot. I mean, I guess the problem for me is I just don't care about this relationship. I mean, I think that's what I just keep coming back to. It's like, like I said, I never felt authentic to me in the first <laughs> place. And then to our point, you know, Marlo just isn't grounded in any kind of emotional reality. I don't think she has real relationships with any of these women. And then I think to a certain degree, it's kind of the same with Kenya. You know, if I trust the information that's coming through, it's like, this is business. Whereas, you know, and we haven't really gotten into the other women, but when I look at, honestly, even as a first timer, Sonia, uh, when I look at Sheree, especially this season, when I look at Candy, and I'll even sit throw Drew in there, like I get a sense of no, they really they want to form real relationships, you know, and they, I, I get the sense that they want to do something real on the show, and that it's not necessarily just a power struggle for them, or it's not just business. Like I feel like there's there's some kind of investment in in cultivating something that's real similar in a way i feel the same way about like garcelle and crystal on beverly hills um you know whereas with marlo and kenya they just feel like uh these two uh producers who um are kind of on their own little islands and i think kenya does a better job of cultivating warmth and heart and humanity in the friendships I'm using sarcastic air quotes, but like the friendships that she has on the show. Um, but ultimately they do still feel limited to me. I, I, with Kenya, I just hear the words like, like there's no, ultimately there's no real loyalty with her as we saw with Cynthia. Something that was said in the reunion and I've heard a couple of times is they talked about feeling more sisterhood this year. And I developed this kind of like fanfic theory that, previous superstars on the series maybe they like they really were stopping the idea of like more intimate relationships um like i think that nini is probably the number one not really connecting with the women and trusting them and like you know we've seen her connect with people but it always felt like uh, like the queen appeasing the people in her court and making them feel special versus like her really being connect and, and I don't know if that was me giving that to her or her feeling that about herself or me making it up but with that said um I, my theory is that those kind of people and maybe even Portia too Phaedra got out the way and then you have people who are coming more gen- like I think Drew Drew's issues are like not malicious she just is like confusing and figuring out for herself if she's a fraud you know and then like you have Sonya who clearly was overproduced this season and you know I think she every every housewife deserves two seasons I really believe that and uh, then, I love um, Sonya I'm gonna go on record and say I love Sonya oh, yeah I think she'll I think she'll emerge as a favorite she just has to realize like like who to come she has to realize that Sheree is not have her back and I don't know why nobody gets that Sheree is like not here for, for the real like that's another drop in you should do but um I just want to say like Candy 
I think we all know candy's always been like the type. Candy's the type to text you happy Merry Christmas and invite you to a Christmas party, right? So you and then I think Kenya is maybe getting there. So with uh, and I'm hoping that Cynthia was nice, but my point is to say um, I think these women actually like maybe hung out you know, or maybe like talked in between filming and maybe, you know, actually, you know, checked in on each other. And that will over time give us a better chemistry, I think, because that's where like a show like Vanderpump Rules in its heyday was because these people had actual relationships, real history. And you knew even if they were, even if they re-recorded the fight, you knew that the before, the during, the after the fight was valid and was going to come up. It wasn't going to be a drop storyline. Um, so, or at least that's how I felt and that's how it got produced to me. So that, um, I'm curious about that aspect and where we see the season grow. If they bring in new people and friends of, um, if Portia does come on as a friend of, I don't think they signed her on as a full-time, but people feel like they want Portia in the dynamic. And I don't know if I do. I feel like it's... Um, it's unfinished business at this point they want to resolve, but I, I feel like people are going to be disappointed that the resolution won't be as crazy as they think it is. Yeah. I was thinking about the fact before we recorded that Kenya and Marlo's the, the latest iteration of their friendship did grow out of a collusion against Portia. And then I was just holding the three of them as a trio. And I think they're a really interesting trio because again, I, I think Portia, it looks very different but I think, you know, she's also very much, you know, a cultivated, produced and controlling uh, cast member. And so I don't know, just the power play between the three, the, the three of them. And then also, too, when I was talking about Marlo not feeling like she has space or room to really explore the depths of what wants to come through her. As I talked about on the episode with Portia, I've felt something very similar with her where it just feels like there's a lot of unresolved energy in her. And it just feels like she hasn't had a place to put it. And to me, that's kind of what it feels like fuels her sort of what I would call like her more manipulative aspects and the way that she sort of cultivates things and controls things. So they're an interesting trio. And to your point, Chanel, yeah, I'm not sure I would love Portia being back in the mix because I'm I'm ready for more of the Sonyas who like, look, I get that she's extra, totally get it. She reminds me a lot of Wendy and I loved, I love Wendy. Um, I feel like I'm one of the only people who loves Wendy. But you know, yeah, I like it when they're a little bit extra. I like it when they're over the top, you know? And I also like a woman who... Look, does she need to talk about her four gold medals all the time? No. Does Wendy need to talk about her four degrees? No. But I kind of like these women who are owning their accomplishments. And I think with both of them, though, I feel their hearts underneath it. And I also feel, and especially with Sonya, I really feel a willingness and a desire to connect. And I feel like one thing I will say for Sonya, like some of her worst moments, for example, like when she was on the phone with Kenya, and it did seem like she was being sort of superior and judgmental about the plus one. But when she explained it at the reunion, I, I bought it and I felt genuine remorse. And I really felt her saying like, when I saw it played back, I see how it looked and I'm sorry. So I don't know. I'm, I'm into Sonya and I guess I got a little off, off course, off, off the point, but I would like to bring in more women who are ready to play ball in real relationship that's me. You know, I know there are people who think Kenya and Marlo make great TV. You know, to me, that's not great TV, but, you know, everyone has their own definition of great TV. Yeah, I think that's a great question to ask in the future to guess, Jamie. Like, what do we think actually makes great TV? Because 
the um maybe you know i'll close out kind of a quick thought with this is that we talked before about who we think pulls the strings on bravo and sometimes they make casting decisions i don't understand but i know there's so much on the cutting room floor we probably just don't see things i love trying to interpret if the if the producers or editors hate somebody from how they edit them like you know like who's a who's a brat um and so i'm really curious like with the with the beverly hills you know, does Rena say or does she go and all these conflicting reports? And it's like, what is actually more important to Bravo? Is it the engagement, no matter if it's positive or negative? Is there a limit? Yes. Do they actually care if people are buying bots and attacking kids and all, you know? So we have like a, a lot of like dark swirls around these other franchises that will either be resolved um, and, and there can be a statement in casting or not. So I think that Atlanta having the same cast showed that they, they agree with us. Like it was good enough. We'll go from here. You know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I think they're in such a bind with Beverly Hills because <laughs> I mean, to my mind, this, this season was such a disaster. The show feels over and yet it's doing well in the ratings. So what do you, what do you do with that? But, um, I think, you know, kind of the last thing I'll say just sort of to your point. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed the season of Atlanta. I mean, did I think it was an all time best season? No, but it did feel to me last season, their COVID season was so strange and disjointed. This to me felt like, a step in the right direction. It felt, you know what it almost reminds me of? It feels like first and second season of Potomac, you know, where it, there was like something good going on, but it wasn't quite there. And then it just felt like in seasons three and four, it like really hit its stride. I feel like we could really be finding our footing towards a new era of Atlanta. So that's kind of what I'm hoping is happening. I agree. Atlanta will always be my number one for me. I just, because the women are the most relatable for me right. watching other than all the, you know, the franchises I see. But I hope they bring new energy, too. Yeah. And real friendships, real like just real connections. Drew said on Candy Speak on it. Mm-hmm. She honestly wants to form. She said, I want to form real connections and not see y'all just during filming. And I was like, oh, <laughs> The thing about Atlanta is all these women have had all this drama and divorces and deaths. And and so we had a a shifting cast and we had some people we thought of as like um, greats and staples who left or got demoted. Same thing as like, you know, Luann had a season as a friend of like we don't even think about that because we think of her as a figurehead. So I think about it. I've been doing a Roni rewatch. I've been watching seasons four through 12. So I'm like deep in Real Housewives of New York. How's it making you feel? I'll just drop this little tidbit, which is what really strikes me is how I feel like Bethany and Ramona have a lot in common. And I'm so drawn to their relationship. And I actually think the show works best when they get along. And I don't like it when they're arguing. So I'll just leave that there. (laughs) Taria's like her face is lighting up. <laughs> is that like a shocking thing to say? No, I agree that that yeah. they have a whole lot in common, but it that's not how it plays out to audiences. I feel like I know, <laughs> I know. I, I I mean, I'm thinking about doing an episode about my Roni rewatch because I have a lot to oh, say about. Okay. okay, I have a lot to say, especially about that relationship. I think there's a lot there between Bethany and Ramona. But the last thing I was just going to say about Potomac is they have uh, five women who've been there every season. I know. Like, 
what you know like the kids are big and all that stuff and so i think that's why this show is like for people who don't watch it's like watch it because it has all the elements of a housewife show it has all the elements of like you know real things and then we have our villains like it, it's 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 good as the other stuff but it's it's like it's kind of how married to medicine is slept on but it's such a good show and it's because when you have a cast that they can find that balance between the rumors that are juicy but not enough to like ruin or <laughs> ruin someone's like home and reputation but it keeps you coming back and then the personalities are consistent so bravo is giving us some good tv even if people are like not super happy with atlanta and i'll echo lastly what you said jamie which is that i actually don't think i do care that much about marlo and kenya i i care about them as individuals as we've gotten into it and realize the similarities but i do not need them to be friends the way that marlo thinks she should be friends with everyone i actually don't think it is realistic it'll ever happen so my final take and i think potomac kind of reminds me of my favorite franchise and i know this is problematic but my favorite franchise is orange county uh going back to the original but you know i think what orange county and potomac have in common too is that like they're big fishes in a small pond and I don't think any of those women have gotten too big for their britches, you know, and so they're willing to play ball. And um, I think, I, I don't know, there's something about that. You know, I feel like in New York, Atlanta, Beverly Hills, it's like they're more in the pop culture zeitgeist and their egos get inflated. Whereas I feel like in the franchises like Potomac, Orange County, and even Dallas before it imploded, it's like none of them are too good for the show. And so there's a way that they kind of come to play each year that I I really like all right you guys well i've taken up so much of your time and energy are are there any final thoughts anything that feels like it's been left unsaid when it comes to marlo and kenya i think we've covered them all in a way like like chanel said we didn't take anything or i wish i had your exact wording but you said like we didn't bash them we didn't take anything from them we didn't tear them down you know but we still took a lot from them so and i enjoyed talking about them me too. I think that, you know, it's nice to bounce ideas off of people because that's when, you know, I don't know about truth, but that's when I feel like we're hitting on something that's like compatible or accurate mm-hmm. probably. So um, it makes me feel like, okay, my read is good. If if, 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 my, if I'm in line with Jamie, I'm like, okay, my read is on point. Oh my God. Don't so, say uh, that. So, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, you know, I, lo- I look up to you. So I think oh. that those are... um that, I mean, it's been, I'm surprised by how much we were able to, like, we, we were like, okay, let's talk about maybe Marlo and Kenya. And then we did like an hour on just Marlo and the complications. So there's something compelling there. And um, I'm interested in seeing the future of it. So thank you for having us again, Jamie. Well, I'm glad you're interested in seeing the future of it because as we're talking, I'm like, you know, I really wouldn't be upset if Marlo were no longer on the show. <laughs> Me neither. Me neither. Just because, again, I feel I think it is hard when there are these cast. You know, I felt this way about Lisa Vanderpump. Like, I, I when there are cast members who kind of have a chokehold on the show in a certain way, I, I just think it makes things hard. And I think you know the last thing I'll say to your point about Potomac, it's like, uh, well, maybe not Mia, but I, I love Mia. It, it, it's like they they all kind of they just throw it on the line. You know what I mean? There's no one who's got kind of like a a stranglehold on the show. There's no one who's uh, 
super controlling. There's no one who's like producing it all behind the scenes. I mean, Giselle plays producer, but they have her number. You know what I mean? And she's not better than any of the rest. She doesn't have power over any of the rest of them. Like, you know, Lisa Vanderpump kind of had power over the rest of them. All right, you guys. Um, thank you so much for being with me. It was a joy as always. Um, Chanel, Taria, let people know where can they find you? First of all, thank you for having me uh, to talk about this. But you guys can find me on Instagram at WeGo, W-E-I-G-O podcast. That stands for what else is going on. Twitter, same thing, at WeGo podcast. And um, if you would like to support anything you've heard of me today, you can find me at buymeacoffee.com slash, I think, what else is going on? If not, it's WeGo podcast. Either way, you'll find me. Oh, and I have a Patreon. What else is going on? Yeah, send Jamie and uh, Taria five dollars, guys, right now. Just do it. <laughs> um, I uh, you can find me at Chanel, like the perfume creating the verb everywhere. So Twitter, Instagram. Um, I uh, Jamie, thank you for sharing about the podcast earlier. So you know tonight I'm going to catch up on House of Dragon and record that. Um, and I'm also I don't think I've chatted with you about this at all, Jamie. I'm also working on like an independent sketch comedy show that I shot and I'm trying to edit. So. Um, if you are on Twitter and you see my link to my YouTube, please subscribe because I started a show for YouTube and they realized I have no s- subscribers. <laughs> I was like, who is going to watch the show? So um, would love any and all support on that. Um, and yeah, this has been so fun. Thank you. All right, you guys. Well, like I said, thank you so much. I so value your time, your energy, your presence and your insights. And as always, you can follow me on Instagram, Jamie Stein, J-A-M-I-E-S-T-E-I-N. And if you're interested in my work, you can go to my website, hollywoodreadings.com and send me an email. And I will see you all on the flip side. Bye. Bye.